Karel, you have traveled far. One journey has ended. A new journey is about to begin. Hey everybody, Magnus here. I do a podcast called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. What I do is spend six episodes talking about comics, movies, and TV shows. But all that stuff gets put on hold every eighth episode so that I can talk about Smallville. Smallville's the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in all of history. Smallville's my favorite version of Superman apart from the comics, and so every eighth episode, I put Smallville under a microscope. Listeners all around the world have been shocked to discover just how awesome Smallville truly is and just how well it holds up to critical scrutiny. I've recently finished what most people regard as Smallville's first run with the conclusion of the mighty third season of the show. But as awesome as Smallville may have been up to this point, the best is still to come. And I want you along for the ride. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville, an eighth episode feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. Now with fewer cigarette breaks. So check out Magnus Talks About Smallville every eighth Tuesday for all the Smallville small talk you could ever hope to shake a stick at. Magnus Talks About Smallville every eighth Tuesday only at twotruefreaks.com. Please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Doctor Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, presented 
by Two True Freaks. I'm Michael Bailey, and I'm not your host, Magnus. But what Magnus normally does is talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. And, as an editorial aside, he's very good at it. But I digress. What you're about to hear is part three of Magnus and John M. Wilson discussing Man of Steel. They came together about a year ago and spent five hours. I shit you not, five hours talking about Man of Steel. And as I say, what you're about to hear is the third and final part of that. Now, this entire thing ended up becoming a little bit of a clusterfuck. It went on way longer than Magnus originally anticipated, obviously. So if you hear Magnus say that this will be a two-part show or something else, just ignore that. The Man of Steel retrospective will be three parts, and then next week Magnus will again join forces with John M. Wilson so that they can shoot the bull about what they thought of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. What worked, what was awesome, what could have been done better, how awesome Magnus is, and all that kind of stuff. So stay tuned for that. As for right now, <sighs> fuck me, I have no idea where Magnus and Wilson left off last time. Hey, Wilson, do you remember? I tried to make a mental note of where we were in the conversation, but I lost it. Oh, well, basically what I was doing, um, I was, I'd been kind of ranting about um, goings-on with Zod, what a bloodthirsty sick fuck he actually is. Yes. And then, um, and then after doing that, uh, we'd started um, talking about Superman exiting the, um, whatchamacallit, the uh, Zod ship. The Christ pose. Yeah. And the point that I made was the... uh, trying to think. uh, Basically, the point I made was that this is actually sort of counterintuitive. Like what Jarrell told him. He's like, look at that. Like, microscopically, you're seeing the entire planet. Microscopically, you're seeing Lois's escape pod. He says, you can save all of them. Which is not really the formative lesson that most people associate with Superman. It's usually that he can't save everybody. Here, you've got... Jarrell saying you can save everybody. You can save all of them. Get to it. And if that means so he's basically inspiring Clark to be Superman. That. And I think the other thing he's saying is, if this has to be done at the expense of Krypton, that's the way that things have to be. So, and you even uh, chi- uh, you know chipped in a little bit on that. And then I think it was right around there when I was finishing my point. I think that's when you uh, you you and I kind of got lost, but, um, it's interesting because again, I, I guess I just don't think about these kinds of things in the movies, but I didn't really think of that as a open her arms, open his arms as a Christ kind of thing. I thought it was kind of a weird gesture to make, but, um, but I do, I do like that. Basically Jor-El is enfranchising Clark to be a hero and do what he needs to do for humankind, even if that means not saving or recreating Krypton. It's 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 just a really big of him to say, you know. I agree. And um, you know the the thing about it is that you know just because I see something in this doesn't mean you're obligated to agree. So you know if you've got a different uh, perspective, or for that matter, if you just think I'm wrong, you know by all means feel you know feel free to say Wait, so. Well, here's the thing though: this is all art. Yeah. And I, I, it's just my own personality that I have a really hard time telling somebody they're wrong about art. 
Um, now I can I can nitpick somebody's continuity understandings. You know, we 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 can go toe to toe on whether or not um, a particular history or timeline or something that's really nerdy about comics works a certain way. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to art, it's just like there there are there are different ways to see things, and and we can we can have really cool discussions about it. But but I'm really gonna say somebody's wrong about art unless they're just wrong, in which case I'll tell them they're wrong. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, following that sequence, uh, Superman obviously catches uh, Lois's uh, escape pod, uh, guides her to a safe landing, and then he, using his super hearing, discovers that all hell's just broken loose on the Kent farm. He tackles uh, Zod. He zips over to the Kent farm, tackles Zod, punches a fuck out of him. Yeah, and- I love that you thought you could threaten my mother. And when I was watching it this time around, I was like thinking back to uh, Lara because he very much did threaten Lara. And, uh, and now he's getting a beat down for both of those and, and Superman doesn't even realize he's doing it. I didn't even realize he was doing it. That's a good catch. Wow. And actually, and you know what? It is sort of, you know what? When you think about it, it's not only answering his threat, it's reversing it. I mean, be careful what you go looking for. I mean, you go looking for a fight, watch your ass, dude, because you might get one. And he right. went looking for trouble, and he's like, hey, I will find him. And, you know, you, I don't know he's completely thought about what might happen once he finds him, you know? And one thing that might happen is you get the hell beaten out of you. Well, he he's at the mercy of his genetics here. He is fully confident in his ability to, to kick every single ass that comes along his way. And he's just not quite as able to do that as he thinks. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a little bit humbling for him. But either way, a fight breaks out in downtown uh, uh, Smallville uh, between Superman, United States military forces, and the Kryptonians. And I think it would be fair to say that Smallville has never been quite this devastated ever before. I mean, this you talk about, a, you talk about some major league destruction here. But one of the major I guess, elements of all of this is that the United States military, for the time being – isn't differentiating between friend and foe. Basically, to be Kryptonian is to be in their crosshairs, for right now at least. And we kind of touched upon this a minute ago, or at least in the last um, couple of minutes, that uh, at this point, uh, the military, they're pretty much in full survival mode. It's right now, they're, they, I, I'm thinking that their mindset is they can't afford to you know, choose sides, be nitpicky, or for that matter, listen to both sides of the argument. These guys are tearing up an American town. That cannot be allowed to happen. And so we've pretty much got to carpet bomb these people right off the map. And I don't see this, and neither did you, as a contradiction of uh, what had, I guess the tone of that scene, the uh, conversation with Lois and the, the rest of the military. There's not a contradiction there, I don't think. But in any case, um, the tide the tide kind of turns on that. Um, Superman is accepted by the United States Army as a friend and ally, while the Kryptonians escape precisely because of his actions uh, in saving soldiers as much as he could from uh, from the Kryptonians. And that is where this story, at least in my opinion, it was never really an incredible Hulk story to begin with, but I guess to whatever degree it was, that's where it stops. Because at this moment, he's accepted as an ally. And mm-hmm. it's one of those, again, this is just another another of those moments when I kind of have to wonder, 
you know, when the when people criticize this movie as being a Hulk movie in a red cape, you know, I don't think like either they didn't watch it or they're not or they're just not really paying attention. I mean, I don't know. It's talk about missing the point. I, you know, what are your thoughts? Um, actually, I had some thoughts while you were saying that they could get kind of insulting pretty quickly. I'm not sure if I want to voice them or not. Go right ahead. Uh, so so feel free to cut this. And, yeah. and, and please, if you're listening to this and you're my friend, don't take this as talking to you, but this is an observation I've had about humanity. Um, as an educator, uh, I, I've noticed something as a particular trend in, in schools and in, in, and in thinking. And that is that we are not nearly as equipped to literary analyze things as we once were. Mm-hmm. We just don't have those skills. They're not emphasized as much in schools anymore. And so I'm wondering if sometimes some people, not anyone in particular, but sometimes some people miss the point on something for no other reason than we are not trained to think like that as much as we once were. Hmm. So um, it sounds like I'm denigrating people's intelligence. That is not my intention whatsoever. But if you're not taught how to do something, how can you be expected to do it well? Um, so so I, I wonder if sometimes that is part of the conflict in our, our fandoms and in our, our you know debates we have about how things work is that sometimes people just don't think about things as deeply or as clearly as they might do because they never learned how. Um, that's a rather politic way of putting it. And uh, I fear that if I expand on that, I may actually go into the very territory you're trying to avoid. What I'll say, though, is that I... I tend to agree with that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna name names, because um, if I were to do so, number one, none of you would know who I'm talking about, and number two, if the person that I that I am talking about were to listen to this, he his feelings would be really hurt. So, um, but I know somebody just in my personal life, and he's got. Originally, it was just baffling to me. I didn't really understand. Every single time uh, the subject of superhero cinema, whether it's a TV show, a movie, or a cartoon, just whatever it is, his comments begin and end with superficialities and appearances. Literally, the visuals are all he ever seems to want to talk about. And so, you know, he's gone on at great length um, about, for example, did you did you ever watch that uh, that live action Superboy TV show from the uh, early nineties? I saw every episode uh, whenever from Crisis to Crisis was covering that era. Oh, very good. All right, so that's probably f- pretty fresh in your mind then. Um, starting in the second season, uh, they got a new Superboy, mm-hmm. and he had a very different uh, type of cape attachment. And this guy that I know, we'll just call him Bob. Bob would just. Actually, there's a Bob in the podcasting community, so no. Uh, we'll just call him. <laughs> Hi, Bob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't think Bob actually Bob Fisher. I don't think he listens to my show, but just in case he does, I don't want him to think I'm talking about him. So, Bob, if you're listening, not talking about you. I promise. But um, we'll just call him Stanley. Uh, this guy Stanley. Um, he would just go on and on and on about the the cape uh, that uh, Gerard Christopher wore. And it became sort of the norm and beginning in the second season. And if I could think of an easy way to describe it, I would say it's very John Byrne 
type of a cape. And for some reason, it's just there's something about the way that cape attaches to that guy's shoulders. It just sets this guy's imagination alight. During the ninth season of Smallville, just to kind of continue my analogy here, um, he made fun of the outfit, that that black outfit that Clark wore for a good bit of that season with the uh, trench coat and then the, uh, the black T-shirt with a white S on his chest and all that. And what I eventually realized is that this guy, number one, he only seems to talk about the appearances of things. And number two, I think that's because he can't really explain just what the fuck something means, but he can sure as shit tell you what he thinks of how it looks. And it occurred to me that that's really, just like from an intellectual standpoint, I think that's really all good old Stanley's really capable of, really capable of commenting on. You know, the idea, as you say, of sort of literary analysis, I think is beyond him. And I kind of have to wonder... You know, all of this vitriol that we see online, I'm not, this is going to sound uh, just elitist as all hell. And I, I can't it's even. It's hard not to, though, right? Yeah. And I, I can't really equivocate on that. If you think this is elitist, well, I can't deny it. Um, I kind of have to wonder, you know, the criticism, or for that matter, the praise of anything that you see online, whether it's a song or it's any kind of art, film, whatever. How much of that do these people really have the intellectual faculties and the authority to say? The internet has given everybody a voice, but the downside is it has given everybody a voice, including those who maybe don't need to have one. So, Or at least aren't very skilled at voicing. Yeah, it could be. And so, I don't know. And I, I'm not, I'm not, Actually, I'm trying to remember why... I went down this road. What was it that we said just before all this? Um, <laughs> well, basically, uh, we'd been talking about the um, uh, what I'd said was to whatever degree that this this had been a Hulk movie before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what I think you were going to go a different way with analysis uh, and basically saying that yeah, people maybe aren't looking beyond the surface. Maybe I think was your point. Yeah, and, and, and see, the thing is that there are similarities between Superman and the Hulk. Actually, one could very well argue, and I have argued, I've made this joke on my show, the Hulk is Golden Age Superman with anger issues. Mm, pretty much. I mean, the, the, the similarities are so strong um, in their power set and and how, you know, well, mainly in their power set, actually. Um, but... But the storytelling that is done with the two characters is very, 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 very different. And yeah, there may be a couple of beats in this movie that would be similar to what you expect to see in um, a Hulk film. But um, the Transformers has similar beats. I right. mean, the military plays a really huge role in that as well. Is, 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 is the Transformers a Hulk movie? I just rewatched it. I like the Transformers, by the way. No one's allowed to hate while I'm here. <laughs> um, when it comes, uh, whether it's the animated film or the Michael Bay um, uh, films, um, you will not hear Transformers bashing on this show. Okay. That's uh, official policy, by the way. Okay. Well, good. 
We should do a Transformers show. You know what? Maybe we should, because I'll be honest with you. The way people bash on those movies, I mean, we usually reserve that kind of vitriol for Nazi war criminals. <laughs> I don't get it. I really don't. So, you know, somebody's got to speak up. Somebody's got to be the voice of reason, and I'm happy to do it. But anyway. It's like, it's like a, a public service. Yeah, and you know what? Who knows? Maybe uh, Michael Bay will send us a few of those Bay dollars. You know, you never know. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so you have this huge just fucking uh, clash in downtown Smallville. And it's easy to overlook, I guess, the importance of all of that stuff now, or for that matter, to criticize the unnecessary levels of destruction or what have you. Believe me, we'll get more into that later. But um, I think the thing to remember at this, at this stage in the game, in spite of the fact that we've been living with this movie now for a couple of years, in spite of the fact that we've had so many superhero films where you have these huge epic showdowns in the middle of a, uh, of a uh, city or a town or what have you. The thing to keep in mind is that this, at least at the time that John and I record this, is pretty much cutting edge um, as far as Superman engaged in battle against somebody who hits at his level. It has never been this good before. The full scale of modern effects technology to really visualize Superman's powers and what it would look like for people this powerful to beat the crap out of each other, it's never looked this good before. I mean, again, this is going to sound maybe kind of snarky, but if you think about all the Sissy Mary kicking and stuff that Superman did back in Superman 2 versus the, uh, just the John Wayne fisticuffs that, that are going on here, I mean, this is... Just from again, I, this is like me being a guy, but my God, I just love watching Superman beat the crap out of uh, other Kryptonians. I mean, this is this is what I. I mean, I'm not trying to minimize the importance of the rest of this movie, but I mean, fuck's sake, this is why I plunked down my money. I wanted to see Superman use his fist and just beat the snot out of uh, Kryptonians, and or I guess maybe the better way to put it is superpowered individuals. And damned if I didn't get my money's worth, you know? Yeah. It's never yeah. looked this good before. And we wanted to see Superman punch something. Going before this movie came out, that's what we said. Everybody, well, maybe not everybody, but but quote-unquote everybody was saying, I need to see Superman hit something because he doesn't ever do it. Mm-hmm. Superman's like Wolverine. He has those freaking claws. He never uses them. He, well, except for his own solo series, but in the in like the movies and the cartoons, he never uses his freaking claws to like gut someone. Superman never punches people in his um, films. Right. And to a certain extent, that's because he can't. Because in every single one of his films, he's up against Lex Luthor, except for Superman two, and well, I guess Superman four. But but yeah, but the um, the effects of fighting in nineteen eighty whatever. Everybody was dangling from cables. You couldn't really just go at it. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the technology wasn't there, and now it is. Right. And one of the things – I mean, talk about damning with faint praise, but one of the things I remember people saying about uh, Matrix Revolutions was that, well, at least now we know what it look, what it could – look like uh you know for the next superman movie when you know superman has an airborne you know battle with somebody how cool that might look 
And number one, I think that's kind of a disservice to Matrix Revolutions. I actually really like that movie. Uh, number two, I kind of have to agree. I mean, yeah, I was sitting there in the movie uh, in the movie theater watching that, and you you know Neo and Smith, you know whatever it is that's going on with those two. I was invested in that, but I'll be I'll be honest with you, man. We were at that really dreary time when there were Superman movies were in a serious fucking drought, and I was absolutely thinking, you know, wow, we can do it now. Superman versus Bizarro or Zod or fucking whoever, you know, beating the crap out of each other, flying around, you know, the city and all this stuff. We can do that now, and it's not going to look as like crap. Yeah, it's not going to look as kind of chintzy as some of those Superman 2 sequences. A lot of them look awesome, even now. Some of them, not so much. And uh, anyway, so again, I'm not trying to be too big a pain in the ass here, but it's just, yeah, there's a whole lot of widespread devastation and whatnot. But in, end of the day, dude, it's Superman beating the crap out of a superpowered being who can punch on his level. I'm fine with it, you know? Yeah. So besides, I'm sure most of that stuff's insured anyway, so it'll be fine. <laughs> um, so the the battle pretty much ends with a little bit of a stalemate. Uh, Superman really can't get the upper hand, but Zod and his forces are pretty much crippled by uh, super senses, and so neither really has a noticeable advantage over the other. Meanwhile, you've got the United States Army. As I say, they they in this scene accept Superman as an ally, which is kind of a big step for them. And then uh, Superman returns to the farm and reunites with Martha. And, uh, you know, she makes a little bit of a remark on uh, Superman's uh, outfit. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, people giggled about that. But I I allow that on the grounds that we just got through this, this kind of major effects-driven action sequence. And I think the audience kind of needed a little bit of a chuckle, you know? Um, I'm trying to remember now what she said. Um, it was it words to the effect of uh, "nice outfit, son." Okay. And she's not making fun, but let's face it: people don't usually dress that way in real life, and so uh, most of the time. So it's just a kind of nice little bit of humor before we get driven right back into the seriousness of the story, because Lois arrives and announces that she knows how to stop the Kryptonians, which is the end of Act Two. Now. People nitpick that scene where Lois arrives because she kind of shouts Clark's name in front of a police officer, thereby potentially unmasking Clark. Now, we've kind of touched on that before, that maybe elements of Smallville, the city of Smallville, are um, – they've got a code of silence, I guess, going on. And so there's a possibility this, this uh, officer already knew damn good and well. Uh, who this alien really is. But there's another angle here that, you know, this farm, for whatever reason, was ground zero for the alien invasion. So there's a very good argument that all Superman's doing is just going there to secure the scene. I don't think the officer would necessarily think it's strange that uh, Superman was hanging around there. You know, what do you think? Well, first of all, there are any number of ways to look at it. So... Regardless of how the uh, – if if this storyline had any implications in the overall myth of Superman – I'm sorry. If this scene had any implications in the overall myth of Superman that have not yet been seen, we just don't know. But A, it could be you know that the guy who drove her up already knew. Right. 
be. It could be that um, Superman is sitting there hugging on the old lady who lives in this house. So why is that happening? I mean, it's not Lois, I think, that is in danger of uh, messing up Superman's secret identity here. Clark is there as Superman. And yeah, maybe he could, maybe he could be just, you know, making sure everything's okay. Or maybe the officer saw him hugging on his mom and already drew conclusions. Mm. I just, um, there, there are lots of different ways that this could have, you know, could be interpreted. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, also, what else is she going to call him? Yeah. I mean, his, his name's Clark. And he just got through beating up bad guys. The fact that he wouldn't want anyone to know that he's Clark. I mean, she, from Lois's perspective, these people already know that he's Clark. His mom knows that he's Clark. Pete Ross knows that he's Clark. These people in this town know that he's Clark. So what else would she call him? Right. Okay, well. There is no superhero name. Yeah. Because he's not a superhero. He's a guy saving a, ta- uh, saving a planet. Yeah. No, that's actually no. That's a really good point. Well, uh, some people um, they tend to overanalyze that or read too much into it, and you know, definitely we've held this movie under the microscope so far. So I, it felt only fair and honest to give that, I guess, that segment, uh, give them their their say. But honestly, I really do think that's. It's just trivial. I don't know. Whatever. It's, it really is because there just there's so many ways you could write it off. There are so many possible no prize explanations that it doesn't even matter. Not least of which is he didn't hear her say that. But yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So she wasn't that loud, guys. So um, and facing away in the open. Right. No, that's true. Actually, that's very true. So anyway, uh, beginning of Act Three, Zod reunites with his officers, and this is where it comes out that. Um, the codex is actually stored inside of Superman's bloodstream, his skin cells, somewhere inside his body, basically. And uh, he does not need to be alive in order for them to effectuate the extraction. So certainly there's that going on. And again, this Zod says that what he wants is what's in the best interest for his people. And once again, we see him contemplating murder. Now, he's already committed an act of murder at the beginning, several acts of murder, actually, at the beginning of the movie. And there's nobody's really qualified to say how many people the Kryptonian soldiers killed during the invasion of Smallville. So it's not like this is the first time the shedding of blood is, has come up on, on Zod's radar. I'm just saying it kind of reinforces the fact that supposedly he's there you know, to reach out to Kal-El and everything. Not really, though, what's what's happening, at least from the outside. In any case, we're getting into territory now where it's a little bit harder to to draw uh, to draw upon, um, I guess, uh, literary criticism because there's just it's pretty much wall to wall action from here on in. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I do want I do want to just want to point out that you know I really one of the aspects of Krypton that I like is um how alien the technology is oh, yes and how they have somehow some way mastered um organics in ways that we can only consider science fiction mm-hmm. and so all of their technology is organically driven and organically based and so the codex was originally encoded into the um 
organic material of a really freaking old skull. Mm-hmm. That's where they got it from. So however that was done, I don't know. But somehow that information was transferred by Jorel into the genetic material and the set contained inside the cells of his son. How that was done without being really painful for the baby boy, naked baby boy, I don't know that either. But it's science fiction, so it was done somehow. Mm-hmm. But I just I really like that aspect of this story is that the the organic um, technology that they use. I agree. And when I was sitting there, actually, I was watching that scene in theaters. I was sitting there wondering, well, how the fuck could he be – could Clark being dead not harm the process? And then I, what I realized is, well, it's not like that skull was alive. Right. So you know, if, if, if it can be stored and then extracted from a skull, being stored and, and then extracted from a dead body is probably no more e- – that's no easier no, and no more difficult, I would think. So probably the same either way. Now, there is a moment where Superman meets with Lois and then the military to devise a way to destroy uh, Zod's ship and the world engines. Now, basically the plan calls for Superman to uh, head to the Indian Ocean to single-handedly take out the world engine, while stateside in Metropolis, the military, uh, they attack the uh, – they they attack Zod's ship. One of the things that really works for me about this is that Superman, he helps, but he does not save the day single-handedly. As much as anything, you could view turning back the uh, the alien invasion. That's as much mankind's accomplishment as it is Superman. He gave them the tools. He enabled them to do the job. He did not do it for them. He helped. But his mandate is to guide humanity. And he's already starting to do that. You know, I think a normal thinking person would think, well, I'm just going to, I'm the one with powers. I'll take care of everything. And then we'll start this whole guidance thing tomorrow. You know, Superman doesn't do that. You know, he, he entrusts uh, the military against superior firepower to achieve their objective. And again, I'm not trying to be a pain in the ass about this, but it, 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 I, I feel like I'm not doing the material justice if I don't at least comment on the fact that, you know, this is Superman's victory. Yeah, sure. It's also a military victory for us. You know, this is our victory, too. We have a stake in this. Uh, What do you think? No, I like that. Um, I keep on, while you were talking, I kept on thinking about the the promos for Batman versus Superman and how this whole guidance thing is really not going to work out well for him. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, I mean, as human beings... We really don't like being guided. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, when it comes right down to it, we like to do things our own way, and that's kind of one of our quirks as a people. Um, but, but yeah, he, the fact that he's letting that letting humanity, um, or at least, if there weren't two prongs to the situation, then maybe he would take it upon himself. But the way the story works out so that there are two prongs to this situation and and Superman does one while the humanity does the other, I, I like that it worked out that way. Right. I just thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah. yeah as to what is. the future may bring, I mean, obviously, hell, our listeners probably know more about that right now than uh, than we do right now. Right. So, yeah. But I don't know. It's just I at the same time, I really couldn't I really couldn't let that 
just let that slide. Now, another kind of interesting little tidbit in all this is that um, Zod, he's preparing the uh, Genesis chamber from the ship that Clark flew around in earlier in the film. He's on that, that, that same ship. He's preparing the Genesis chamber, and in the bargain, he erases the AI Jarrell from the scout ship. Now, he's killed Jarrell once already. He then kills him again. Now, that's hate. Killing somebody twice, that's hate, my friend. You know, you, I, don't, I don't know what that guy did to piss you off. That's hate, you know? And I just thought it was kind of interesting. No, yeah, yeah, they, they, they are no longer friends. And, and you know, again, I, I'd like to see their story developed in the Krypton series because I think there's there's a lot of good stuff that can be done there. But um, it's kind of like the whole uh, Lex and Clark thing. I agree. Friends gone wrong. There's we know that we know, however, that Jor did not make um, Zod go bald because Zod still has all his hair. Yes, he does. But he did give him the scar, so that I don't know. That counts oh, yeah. for something, maybe. So, either way, um, there's another little moment that happens. Uh, a Daily Planet staffer named Jenny gets trapped inside some rubble, and then Perry and Steve Lombard uh, a rescue her. Now, there's been speculation of plenty uh, about you know who exactly Jenny is. Is Jenny? just a random Daily Planet staffer, or is this, in fact, Jimmy? And honestly, I don't think the movie really says for sure either way, but what do you think? I think that if there weren't a similarity in the sounding of the names, no one would ever have said anything. Um, it's She's an intern. We know that much. Mm. Uh, Jimmy was not an intern. Now, would they call a cup reporter an intern nowadays? Maybe. Um, but... I don't know. She's she's just a person. Mm-hmm. She's a person who's there. Her last name is not Olson, so there's no clever gimmick being given there with with it being a Jenny Olson instead of a Jimmy Olson. Oh, what is her last name? Or do you know? I, off the top of my head, I don't, but I have looked it up. The character does have a last name. Ah, it's it's on her name badge in the movie. Oh, I see. Um, but it's just one of those things where. We were looking for the pre- the use of a character, the preservation of a character, and we thought this might be it, and I really don't think this is it. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I think that might have been kind of interesting, but okay, fair enough. If you say that's not her, then whatever. That's I mean, her. but like, like you said earlier, I could be wrong. Okay. No, I mean, I, I, I trust you. I'm not trying to uh, cast doubt on that. So the um, – I just I, – I, I wanted to at least acknowledge it. So – now the um, let's see the next thing. Uh, Superman attacks the World Engine in the Indian Ocean. He almost dies in uh, the attempt, but he I guess through sheer force of will makes it through. Now there's a little bit of controversy here. Uh, well, not controversy. Uh, there's some speculation, perhaps, that the flashing of the light over uh, Henry Cavill's face, whether or not there's a cameo appearance from a computer-generated Christopher Reeve in that in that <laughs> sequence. And honestly, the lighting is ambiguous enough. I don't know. I, I, do we know for sure that that's even there or, or what? Um, I've looked at it. I, I, I can see what they're saying. I can see where it kind of looks like Christopher Reeve. Um, Michael Bailey has my favorite response to this. And he says that, you know, 
there are certain general physical characteristics that we associate with Superman and we hire actors to play Superman who have those characteristics. So the idea that a distorted Henry Cavill face would bear passing resemblance to Christopher Reeve for a second mm-hmm. is not is not out of the realm of imagination. Hmm. Whether if it's an actual direct and intentional capturing of Christopher Reeve's face, I personally think that's a really weird thing to do. Yes. And it's kind of weird to suggest that somebody else was doing it. Right. I Again, it's one of those – it's like the Jenny thing. I really couldn't let that slide. I mean it's it's one of those things that (sighs) – how many times can you hear that story about Richard Gere and the gerbil? It's just you eventually (laughs) – eventually you got to at least talk about it. So I I want to just throw that out there. So That's good. um, Now next, let's see. Uh, Zod's army. Uh, basically, they fight back against the military. They're about to blow, in fact, the uh, the uh, military jet right out of the sky, but Superman intervenes, comes to the rescue. And Zod has this really weird moment. It's the only time in the film I can think of where he begs anybody to do anything. He pleads with Superman, don't do this. If you do this, you're basically closing the door on Krypton forever right we're not gonna and to an extent on zod's entire existence pretty much and superman's reply to that i think is actually very telling you know a moment ago i argued you know zod could have chosen any planet he wanted to terraform and i don't think superman would have been opposed to that had it been an uninhabited planet his opposition or at least zod's problem is that he's chosen Earth, which is, I'm sorry, that's this planet's taken. You need to go find one of your own. Superman didn't make that argument. What he says is, Krypton had its chance. And he doesn't, he, he doesn't try to argue any kind of a compromise. Hey, look, you can do what you're doing, just don't do it here. Never says that. Krypton had its chance. Then he destroys the controls to the ship, and it's... It's kind of a shitstorm after that. And this is – I just off the top of my head, I think this is the first time in the film that Superman is having to face circumstances where he's got to close the door on Krypton. We saw earlier in the film that finding his people meant something to him. It's not incidental, trivial bullshit. So for him to – take the stand that he's taking here it's just a very interesting character moment for him i think you know like not just that he's doing it the reasons for his doing it you know right it's also i think the first time that he's having to make a decision about other people's lives that too i mean that's that's a very superman thing to have to do but he hasn't exactly had to do that much yet not yet no and from there it's uh, pretty predictable the uh the ship, or that is the plane that uh, the jet that uh, Hardy is piloting, he kamikazes into the uh, into Zod's ship, which sucks. If I'm not mistaken, it doesn't actually kill Hardy. It actually sucks Hardy, Hamilton, everyone else, including the Kryptonians, into the Phantom Zone. Everybody except Zod. And again, this is one of the reasons why I think this is as much as anything, this is mankind's victory. We had to sacrifice 
quite a bit, in fact, to get to this level. A lot of people had to give their lives in the name of our freedom. And, and in fact, in this case, in the name of our lives. And number one, that's really powerful. Number two, it, it dovetails really nicely with Superman's mission that he's here to enable, to lead, and to guide, not necessarily do all of our work for us. Number three, though, it does open the possibility that Hardy, Hamilton, and the others may actually be back for a sequel somehow. You know, I mean, if they're not necessarily dead, if they're just living in the Phantom Zone, who knows? Right? It's like the Survivor Zone. Pretty much. And I don't Which know. I just read for the first time recently. Oh, really? How'd you like it? It's, 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 it's a good idea. It, it was a, a, a Supergirl story that was published right at the end of Superman's 25th anniversary year. Mm-hmm. And so whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. But it was really neat to have as the end story for Supergirl in the 25th anniversary year to find out that her parents were still alive. Hmm. I thought that was really sweet and cool. Ditto. All right, I just want, you know, maybe we should have a show about that at some point, too. Because <laughs> that's a good story. Um, and then from there... Zod and Superman have their major showdown in uh, in Metropolis. And again, for as big as the battle in Smallville was, this is just all of that taken to the nines. I mean, one of the big gripes that I have, again, I'm not saying this to be critical. I'm just saying it because it's fucking it's true. One of the big gripes I have about the Reeve Superman movies is not every time, but a lot of times the minute – the Christopher Reeve Superman takes to the air and starts flying around. The first thing the director wants to do is put him out in the fucking desert. I don't know why. But it happens, like all the time. Like if you think about how much time Superman spent flying over the Mojave uh, Desert chasing the um, the uh, San Andreas nuke in uh, Superman the movie. Or, uh, let me think, uh, in uh, Superman 3. Um, you know, when he has the big showdown with Ross and, uh, you know, the other, uh, uh, the others, uh, in right. the big supercomputer, it's in the middle of fucking nowhere in the desert. I mean, it's just, what is it about Superman flying around? People feel like they've got to take him out to the fucking desert. I don't know. That doesn't happen here. It's all very urban and it's not exactly in the daytime as I might've wanted, but whatever, something, something symbolism there, the uh, twilight of Zod's life, I guess. And uh, maybe the twilight of Superman's innocence. But um, there's just this huge showdown. I mean, we're talking like skyscrapers getting caved in. And apparently Zack Snyder has confirmed that, yeah, there were casualties in that. You know, some of these buildings that collapsed, some of them actually did have people inside. So I guess I would as far like to point as... out, though, that for a large part of their fight, they're flying and, and, and fighting around areas that were already demolished by the world engine. Very it's, true. It's, it's a little bit into it, into things, before they go into populated areas. I agree. And the fact is, in any kind of large-scale super, uh, superhero battle like this, even in comics, you have to figure there's going to be some very serious casualties and deaths and stuff going on. And at the very least, you know, this is an area that had been at least partially evacuated. And, you know, there's been a, uh, a lot of, uh, shall we say, criticism um, about the uh, amount of devastation and whatnot um, going on in, uh, the, uh, you know, in that showdown. Right. And I guess, number one, I mean, that's just kind of a comic book thing. 
Number two, I don't really see how the number of deaths and casualties and whatnot are any greater here than they were in, say, the first Avengers film, or God knows the second one. And, I, I mean, it's just, of all things that you could possibly uh, uh, pick on, I mean, like, really? This this is the hill that you choose to die on? Like, like really? So, anyway. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, the double standard comes back into play here because... Um, because he's Superman and should do better is, is a response that I've heard a number of times. Um, and there's not really any way to argue with that except for the fact that he's only been Superman for five minutes. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, but that's, that's the main thing I've heard whenever I've brought up other destruction is that he should be doing better hmm. because he's Superman. Okay. But I, I, I don't really know because he's fighting. I mean, okay. He's a man with the powers of a God fighting another man with the powers of a God. And you know what gods do? They fuck shit up whenever they fight. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just, that's what happens. I don't really know what they could have, what, what we're supposed to see there, what other storytelling should have happened. Um, because, He's trying his best. Now, I have maybe not been in as many fights as, as Magnus has. I've been in a very small number. But it was all I could do to hold my shit together. I am not good at fighting. Well, okay, well, hold on. Just lest anybody think I'm some kind of a badass, it was all when I was a kid. Okay, we're talking about... Well, that, that, well that's what I'm saying, too. You know, your kid fights, yeah. schoolyard fights. Yeah. It, and it's it's... I don't know how awesome a fighter Clark is. It's his first time fighting anybody. Right. And so we really want him to be like awesome and, you know, extravagantly, strategically maneuvering uh, Zod into doing stuff. From the movie that I'm watching and the fight that I'm watching, Clark is doing all he can to strategically maneuver his ass into staying alive. Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah. And, and, and again, and again, and again. We don't have super speed. It's not been shown on screen once. So the story we're being given is staying true to itself. Fair enough. Yeah. It's just, it feels, uh, first off, it feels artificial to even complain about it, number one. But number two, since so many people have, it feels a little intellectually dishonest to at least not remark on it. I well, mean, we should remark on it. Yeah. Cause I, I, I feel like telling people that are stupid, but they're not stupid. They're just mis They're mistaken. Well, fair enough. But a moment ago, and this, you know, I guess where the rubber meets the road on this type of um, criticism, people seem to understand that Avengers is a sort of a popcorn movie. It's just a good time at the movies. You're really not supposed to think about it beyond what you're seeing on screen at any given moment. I mean, there's enough conflict and there's enough narrative to stitch the action scenes together. And ultimately, I think that's what Avengers, the first Avengers film is really trying to accomplish i think you know people can say whatever they want about you know it's different for superman he should be better i think what they're really responding to is this movie is not just a fun popcorn movie this movie wants to be something more and i think on some level they're picking up on that and going the wrong way with it i think but either way 
it's just it's just it's a weird criticism i don't completely understand it but i don't completely not see it either it's not completely lost on me i just don't understand why it's such a huge deal but either way whatever it's we all make our priorities in life and then we get to the part of the movie that broke the internet in half glued it back together and broke it in half again and, and since we brought up that part of the movie, I'll just say this: if if Clark had decided to go zip around and save some people, mm-hmm. uh, we could have we could have gone to this part of the movie a lot more quickly, because as soon as Clark goes to save somebody, Zod could be pulling this tricky pulls right now. Exactly that. Now there have been a lot of criticisms of this moment. Um, one of which, this actually comes from Neil Adams, and in his infinite fucking wisdom. Um, he basically asks. <clears throat> Why is it that Zod didn't just uh, – why he was trying to turn his head to face the uh, that family that was cowering in fear from his heat mm-hmm. vision? Why not just turn his eyeballs over instead of trying to f- turn his head? And I would have thought the reason for that would have been obvious based on the fucking scenes earlier from the movie. But heat vision, since apparently it needs to be said, heat vision does not emanate from a Kryptonian's eyeballs, at least not in this universe. In this universe, it emanates from their ocular sockets. and so Like, simply, like Cyclops. It, right. And so if it was coming from their eyeballs as it was, I think, in the, in, in the Reeve movies, or certainly as it was in Lois and Clark, then, yeah, you've – and definitely, definitely in Smallville, then, yeah, you've kind of you, – there's a rational argument there. But the, the, if, if you watch, the only time the, the uh, heat vision beams ever arc and move around – is when a character moves his head. They're otherwise in a perfectly straight line. Zod obviously wanted to kill that family to make his point, but Superman was preventing him from turning his head all the way over. And so it's really no more complicated than that. Why that's such a hard thing for people to understand, I have fucking no idea. I would almost want to say that they have an in, like this agenda to misunderstand, but that is... Maybe that's not fair. I don't know. But... um. Either way, Superman kills Zod, and what Snyder has said is that he wanted – what was originally supposed to happen was that Zod would get sucked back into the Phantom Zone along with the rest of the uh, villains. But then uh, Snyder apparently himself made this affirmative choice of putting Superman in a position where he needed to kill Zod uh, in order to – shut this threat down once and for all. Number one, I think that's actually, on some level, um, it's, it, when we start talking about things like justice in cinema, when characters do certain things, they need to face certain consequences or certain rewards. This is one of them. The other thing, though, is that it's. I think it's incredibly fucking easy to argue that Superman should not kill. In fact, Superman does not kill. I just don't think history completely bears that out. And honestly, this whole idea of Superman never, uh, never killing his uh, his enemies. This you, look, you may want to say heresy, but just hear me out. I don't see that as an absolute. I see that as an ideal. Superman isn't going to kill a bank robber. Does that make sense? Right. We have a, just, a criminal justice uh, system that's ready, willing, and able to prosecute people like that. It's completely unnecessary and totally inappropriate for Superman to kill somebody like that. But when you start talking about an existential fucking threat, 
something along the lines of mixes Pitalik when he's completely unhinged and determined to destroy all of existence, or when Darkseid comes a knocking, or when Doomsday decides he needs to level the city. I'm sorry, there's a time and a place for Superman to put, or at least potentially put, his idealism on pause and say, look, in a perfect world, I'd be able to handle this in a myriad other ways, none of which are available to me right now. So this final solution needs to kind of be on the table here. You know, this fatal option, it, I, I just I can't take that off the table. Superman is also, as you say, on the job. This is literally his first day on the job, and he's being faced with, I think, probably the greatest threat to human existence the earth has ever faced and did he make the right decision well who knows but what i can say is that number one he didn't make this decision for free it obviously cost him something on a on a psychological level to do this and number two like i say i mean brand me a heretic if you want but i just there look there's a time and a place for batman to take life there's a time and a place fewer of them but there's a time and a place for superman to take life and it's well and good to say that it should never happen but i'm sorry you know in a this is a fairly real real world that superman's living in here he's going to face this decision sooner or later unless he's going to fight human supervillains for the rest of his career and i personally don't care to see a franchise of movies based on that so what's left you know anyway there, there are a couple other layers to it because that, that's 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 a great argument for it. Um, there are a couple other layers that I thought about. One is um, not only is this an existential threat, a threat to existence, but it's one that Superman can't stop. Superman can't stop Zod, and by stop I mean peacefully put him in a box. Mm-hmm. He can't just stop Zod; he has to destroy Zod. He has to stop this threat. He doesn't have any other alternative mm-hmm. because what bo- – okay, because here's the thing. So Superman doesn't kill Zod. Then what? Exactly, yeah. Th- then what? I mean put him in the Phantom Zone? Okay, well, that's a storytelling option that the, 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 they didn't want to do. Um, and, and you know, so also Clark no longer has a way to do that because the ship got blown up. Exactly. But here we are in the story. Another thing is that we are at war. Now, I'm a pacifist, and that's fine. And we're, we're not talking about real life anyway. We're talking about fiction. But we're at war. What do you do in war? You, you destroy win. your enemies. Yeah. Or you, you, you destroy their soldiers until, until peace breaks out. Um, Zod has to be stopped. Otherwise, he's going to kill everybody. He has made that abundantly clear. There's only one way this ends, with death. Either you die or I do. I'm not stopping any other way. Hmm. Good point. And, 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 and so, I mean, given that option, movie viewer, Zod has said, your two options for the ending of this story are that Zod dies or Superman dies because Zod is not stopping until one of those things happens. Which movie ending do you want, movie viewer? Do you want Superman to die or do you want Zod to die? Pick one. Yeah. No, I get that. And, and you know, it's just the other thing. And I know that 
apparently we're not allowed to make this argument because the other side doesn't have a response to it, and that's why we're not allowed to make it. I would rather Superman snap Zod's neck like a, like, like a carrot than crush his hand into powder, pitch him across the room, and let him plummet to his death, okay? I'm sorry. That's just fucking sadistic, all right? I mean, I'm already on record that I'm not the world's biggest Superman 2 fan. I don't think there's, you know, much of a secret there. But I'm, I, I just, it boggles my mind that people cheer that moment. You, like, really? You don't mind watching Superman crush another, like, a regular human's hand like that? That you're okay with that? I mean, honestly, I don't see how snapping his neck is the worst option under the circumstances, you know? I mean, I, I, can you imagine, like, the shock you'd be in? Like, you know, like that medical condition, you're in shock? You know, having your hand crushed into fucking powder like that? Fuck's sake, dude. And then he uh, tosses Zod across the room, and we don't... There is no version of the movie you can buy where Zod is arrested and taken into custody. You know, that that version of the movie does not exist on home video. The only logical thing I can think is that Zod, Ursa, and Nan all died in Superman 2, and not only that, Superman stood idly by and watched it happen, or else took an active hand in ensuring that it happened. All right? I'm, how is one better than the other? I, I don't see it, you know? So, again, we're not, apparently, we're not supposed to uh, make that argument because the uh, Superman 2 lovers have yet to figure out a good rebuttal for it, so that's why we're not allowed to say that. But um, it's just, it's fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry. So. It is a bit. It is a bit. Um, now, do you have something else on this, or do you, or are you ready to move on? Yeah, I'm not as emotionally invested in the in the death scene as I am in some of the other stuff that we we've talked about. I mean, it's I honestly have zero problem, like zero problem with Superman killing Zod. I have read a lot of Superman, mm-hmm. and I have seen Superman kill people more than I could count. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's just part of his history. Is it the current in, uh, interpretation? No, but like you said, not killing is an ideal. Mm-hmm. Not killing jaywalkers. That's what the Punisher does whenever nobody likes the writer who's doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but not killing a, a a demigod who's going to destroy your home planet. Uh, I, I, I'm a bit more okay with Superman destroying that kind of a threat. Fair enough. Okay. All right. He killed Nazis. No one complained when he killed Nazis. Yeah. Well, uh, very few people um, are willing to stand up uh, for something like that. So. So, 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 just to be clear, Zod is better than Nazis. Ooh, no comment. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the logical direction of that argument. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I say, no comment. Um, now, let's see. Now, from there, we pretty much start getting into the story. It's winding down. The next major thing that happens is Superman confronts Swanwick about his right to privacy. And specifically, uh, the argument that Superman makes here is that, you know, when Swan says, how do we know that you're not going to act against America's interests someday? Um, Superman responds that he was raised in Kansas and it's hard to get much more American than that. And I actually 
kind of tend to agree with that, actually. And um, I say this as somebody who's never set foot in Kansas. I've driven through it. Oh, you have? Oh, okay. really big. Oh, it is? Oh, okay. Well, I hear there's some nice country out there, but I wouldn't know. But um, one of the things that this does is it makes super, or at least arguably makes Superman explicitly American. And that's a little bit of a hot potato for some people. Uh, ultimate immigrant and all that sort of thing. But um, honestly, just I, this is a guy that's already, you know, cast his lot with mankind for better or for worse. He can't come back from it now. And I don't see how him, I, you know, identifying the country that he was raised in as his natural home on earth. I don't really see what the, especially since being American, like explicitly American doesn't mean that you're, explicitly, I don't know, like anti-European or you're anti-African or you're anti-Russian or whatever else. It just means you're, you're American. That's all. But I, this was, again, this is another one of those weird things that people kind of threw a fit over. And I don't know. It's just, it's always just struck me as sort of a bizarre thing to complain about. I must've missed these fits because I never, I never heard any complaints about this one. All I can say is that he has to be from somewhere. And I mean, really, Traditionally speaking, and this is not said with an ounce of patriotism and certainly not an ounce of jingoism to be implied, although I, I, I like being American. Superman is historically an American symbol. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it just would be weird for him to be from somewhere else. And the story that they're telling and the kind of story that we would expect it to be, tell, to be told in a in a, you know, it's postmodern, post 9 11 kind of world is Superman is is a concern for national security until he proves otherwise. And so far he's on the way to doing that. He just hasn't quite convinced everyone yet. He's he appears to have convinced Swanwick, although Swanwick doesn't want to admit to it. Mm. But yeah. until until he convinces everyone that he's not a threat, he has to show that he's not a threat. And by being from America Loving America, baking apple pies on Sundays, yay, America. Until, you know, that that is one way to show that he's not a threat. Well, let's put a pin in that for just two seconds. The very next scene is uh, Clark and, geez, I actually wrote Clark and Lois, whoops. Clark and Martha reminiscing over uh, Jonathan's grave. And uh, Clark makes the uh, comment that he wishes that Jonathan could have been around to see this, this, this transformation that he's made. And Martha said that, in a way, he did kind of see it. Number one, he sort of predicted it. But number two, and this leads into the uh, final... I, I've actually called a few things the final flashback. But no, this truly is the final flashback of the film. It's Clark uh, running around in the field playing uh, with his dog. And then he creates um, this sort of makeshift red cape, which he tucks into his white shirt, which is itself tucked into his blue jeans. Red, white, and blue. And I don't think that the, the, the critics are necessarily out of line when they, say, when, when they identify this Superman as being explicitly American. I don't think they're out of line in saying that. My confusion is only in that being a problem, you know, but... Yeah, why is that a bad thing? Yeah. But, um, you know, the whole red, white, and blue thing at the end of the movie, I mean... It's not – this type of symbolism, I don't think it's as uh, – it's done as often as, you know, the uh, the, the, the Christian thing. 
Um, which again, I I don't have a problem with that either. It's not done as often anymore. No, I mean in the movie. Uh, I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah. And the um, I don't know. It's just those two things happening back to back. You know, him saying, "Yeah, I'm I'm American." And then in the next scene, we see you know basically Superman associated more closely with red, white, and blue than I think he's than he has been at any other time in the movie. I don't see that again. I don't see that as a bad thing, but yeah, it's just the the things that people choose to get offended by. It's just it's it's really very interesting. But nevertheless, it does kind of add a little bit of credence to the uh, argument that people have that Zack Snyder wanted this Superman to uh, this iteration of Superman to be a little bit more explicitly American than. He had. I mean, you don't really see as much of that influence in Superman Returns, and uh, I can't help but think this is at least in part a reaction to that. So, you know, no, you don't actually see Superman flying around carrying an American flag and then parking it on top of the White House, but it's still pretty clear to me, you know? Yeah. So. Um, you know, we had that story a few years ago. Uh, from Action Comics 900, they got everybody in a big tizzy. Also by David Goyer, yes. Um, I've never had an outlet to, to have an opinion on that, and it kind of fits in here, because it kind of fits in with with what I think is, is being said about Superman here, and that is that in that story, Superman says that truth, justice, and the American way is not enough anymore. And the reaction to that statement was, what do you mean being American is not enough anymore? Whenever, again, he didn't say an isolated sentence. He said a paragraph. He goes on to say that just looking out for American interests at the expense of other countries is not something that I want to do. And he wouldn't. Superman's not – again, he's American. He's not anti-everybody else. I, You know – I think I know what Goyer was going for there. I just think he phrased it poorly. At least that's what I want to believe. I want to believe that he he meant that the way you just broke it down, you know? Right. I, I, no, whenever I read it, that was my initial reaction to it. I, I didn't see any other reaction to it until I saw other people talking. It's just he's he he's American. He just – he can't be American in the sense of – well, jingoism. He can't be anti-non-American. Because he's Superman. He's for everyone, but he's American. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So, so I, I, I like that this Superman is, you know, he's American. I don't believe for a second that that means he would ever put anyone else down. I mean, he just saved the whole fucking human population. What do you, what do you, what do you want him to do? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that's another little common thing that it just. <sighs> Honestly, I think I think it's one of those things that when people criticize that, it really says more about them, I think, than it does this film, to be honest with you. <laughs> so it's kind of like the whole – like I'm sure you remember you know, the Jar Jar is a racist thing, um, or rather Jar Jar is a racist caricature thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I've always thought, you know, that says a little bit more about the person making the claim than it does about George Lucas, you know? I, I don't know. So uh, if you don't want to get into that, that's fine. I Believe me, I understand. But it's just 
the uh, it's just a strange. So now, do you do you have any? I don't want to cut you off here. Do you have anything else that you want to put in on that? No, I mean, I mean. Um, oh fuck I, me! I, I've, I've I've actually got something else that. I, speaking of the racist thing, um, the um, what I heard. I want to triple underline this part. This is something I've been told. Was that when news came down the pipeline that Lawrence Fishburne? <laughs> yes, yes. Please bring this up. Yeah, one of the great actors of his generation, one of the most accomplished actors of our uh, of just the modern era. He was cast as Perry White. Supposedly, there was a little bit of a backlash from certain places. Now, I can't speak for the entire internet because that's a big place, but literally. Everywhere I went, whether it was on Facebook, it was on Newsarama, uh, Bleeding Cool, wherever, the Superman homepage, you name it, everything, everywhere. I don't remember anybody saying anything other than that is friggin' awesome, because that was pretty much what I was saying, and I'd remember a contrary opinion, especially for something like that, you know, but I really don't remember anybody saying, um, you know, like the joke I've heard people say is, oh, that's not Perry White, that's Perry Black, or something like that. And I've never heard anybody say that. I've never seen it. I'm not saying it didn't happen. But I, I'm starting to think that this is a little bit like the Michael B. Jordan thing in Fantastic Four. Where that's... it. I don't think that ever really happened. I think that's people... It, that's, that, that's really like the marketing department of uh, that movie uh, studio. Uh, trying to justify you know, Michael B. Jordan's inclusion in the movie. You know, that basically, well, there's all these racists out there. Well, it wasn't really to do with race, the opposition to Michael B. Jordan. At least it wasn't racist. It was racial, but not necessarily racist. And in, in the case of um, Lawrence Fishburne, I truly don't remember ever seeing that anywhere. Not one place. Sadly, I did. Oh, you I, did? I ran, I, yeah, I ran across this online. It was it was disheartening. Same with... Um, now, this was from the source, right? Now, you, you're not saying like this... Somebody told you about this, or you read? No, 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 no. I, I, I was shit. in conversation threads. Yeah. Oh my I was god. In conversation threads with people who were just, you know, and. Oh my god! You're kidding. No, it it, it really happened. There, there, there were people out there who responded negatively to this, and here's, here's my take on it. Whatever, Jesus. Here's my take on it. Okay. When you're when you're casting a fictional character, and the fictional character is of a particular skin tone, and you cast somebody of a significantly different skin tone. Um, there are plenty of cultures out there that have particular flavors to their identity, and the people of those cultures have particular skin tones. Yes. There is not any one black culture because there's you know billions of black people in this world living all sorts of different ways. Um, if your fictional character has flavor to his cultural identity that is tied to his skin tone for example an urban black person who has situations in his life that are there because he's a black person mm -hmm. then i think those sorts of things are worthy of preservation whenever you cast the character okay I have never once in my life run across a character who was so goddamn white that he had to be white when he was cast. Not a one do I know of that has to be white. 
the fact is the vast majority of our comic book pantheon was created back whenever the people who were creating it and never even occurred to them to do otherwise because guess what folks racism is systemic we grow up in it we can't avoid it it's in our subconscious and so there are lots of white characters out there that i think can very easily and without any problem be cast otherwise i'm not entirely sure that's true for very many non-white characters so whenever perry white was cast as Lawrence fishburne and Lawrence fishburne's awesome i was like huh yeah look at that now i made the perry black joke too but that's because i like to be clever and linguistic but not as a pejorative thing yeah and what i heard was (laughs) that the usage it wasn't supposed to be silly they what i what what i was told is that these people actually they really didn't mean that yeah yeah, and um so i would exempt because i think i'm familiar with your sense of humor i would exempt the way i imagine you said it from the way that they are yeah, I, I would imagine it. that we're, we're we're different in that regard as well too. But that that's yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I know you and I have different political minds. I'm not sure exactly if you agree with everything I just said. You don't have to agree with everything I just said. But that's my take on things like uh, cross racial casting. Well, fair enough. What I'll say um, is that I, at least in the case of, okay. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm just gonna admit that this is a double standard on my part. It's hypocrisy. Call it whatever you want. I'm fine with uh, Lawrence Fishburne being in this film as Perry White. The name may be a little bit unfortunate, but fuck it. What, what, what <laughs> you know? What can you do, right? Um, the fact is, he's he, he's a good actor. I've always enjoyed him and everything that I've ever seen him in. And the question I ask myself whenever a casting decision comes out is. Is there ever a moment that I could see this character not, or this actor as being not this character? If it came out tomorrow that fucking, like, Britney Spears was going to play Obi-Wan Kenobi in some new Star Wars prequel that was coming out soon, (laughs) I'm going to have something to say there, and that's not misogyny, that's just fucking practicality, sorry. You know, but in the case of Lawrence Fishburne, I mean, what the fuck is there to oppose here, you know? But... I guess, you know what, look, if people want to do it, whatever, but it's just, I don't, and at the end of the day, here's the other thing, at the end of the day, Perry White is important to the Daily Planet mythos, but how critical is he really to Superman? I have to say not very, so if if the guy's race really bothers you that much, I don't know what to tell you, man, Um, watch a different movie, I don't know, but it's whatever uh, there's uh, I feel like at this point there's nothing I can say that's either not pandering or fucking offensive so take your pick but uh, it's just that's uh, fucking I weird. do like your point about him not being that important to Superman it's kind of like how we had two really awesome Spider-Man movies without an ounce of J.J. Davison yeah well and, and let's face it it's a hard that that's a hard one to recast at this point um, but oh, yeah because he was so I forget his name right off the top of my head but he was uh, J.K. Simmons I believe J.K. Simmons yeah, yeah I almost said J.K. Rowling but no J.K. Simmons <laughs> Speaking of... Uh, now, she might do good, too. I don't know. Right, but do we really need to see a woman? I mean, a British woman? I mean, come on. Damn it. He's American. Fuck you. Anyway. So... And he's a man. He's got balls. So, uh, here we go. Now, leading into, uh, really, the last lapse of the movie, um, Clark tells Martha that he's devised a secret identity. He's gotten a job somewhere. It's not immediately revealed where, but he's gotten a job that's going to allow him to monitor dangerous situations, and then, of course, it's revealed to be 
the Daily Planet, he shows up in a pair of glasses and he's introduced by Perry to Lois as Clark Kent. And at this at this moment, you could fairly well say that the Clark Kent, like the Metropolis Clark, as it's come to be known, sort of secret identity is now firmly in action. Now, here's the thing. We're dealing with a movie that itself deals with, I think, this concept in a fairly grounded, real, realistic sort of way. And so there's an argument that, you know, in a, I guess in a completely realistic world, it's hard to sell a pair of glasses as Clark's disguise. But my answer to that is this. Right now, and maybe forever, Clark is going to be, or Superman, I should say, is going to be viewed as he's an alien, he's this powerful, he's this high above us. No, it, it, it's kind of like the uh, the John Byrne school of uh, Clark Kent disguises, where no one would think to, uh, to ever wonder that maybe, just maybe, Superman has a secret identity, and just maybe, he's hiding in plain fucking sight, right? I think that's the paradigm that they're that they're operating off of, and it's even in you know, there, there there have got to be a couple of gimmies, even in a realistic world. There have got to be a couple of gimmies when it comes to uh, superheroes and their secret identities, because if we apply strictly real world logic to the Chris Nolan Batman films, you'd have to be a complete fucking idiot to live in Gotham City and not know that Bruce Wayne is Batman. I'm sorry, you're a fucking retard, right? But they don't because the story needs them not to, you know? And that's the same sort of thing that I think we're dealing with here, where, damn it, somehow a pair of glasses is enough to do the job, you know? Mm -hmm. And just speaking from experience, I can tell you that, you know, I met, I wasn't, I didn't like, I wasn't like super close to this girl. But I would see, um, you know, a uh, the same girl. She was kind of a friend of mine. I'd see her around, but you know how it is. You're friendly, but you're not friends, right? You don't really know her. You don't really know this person. And so she always had her hair just kind of, you know, by her, you know, kind of just plain by her chin, and that was it. And then one day she shows up. She's got her hair in a ponytail, and she's wearing a pair of glasses. I had no idea who the fuck she was at first. So, yeah. yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it could work. And if you go out of your way to cultivate that illusion, it could, I could actually see that working. I, I think I agree with you. Because, like you said, we have situations like this happen in our lives. How many times have you said or heard someone say, oh my gosh, I didn't recognize you? Yeah. Because there's some drastic difference to the way the person looks. My daughter has always had longish hair. It's always been, um, you know, pixie cut or uh, down to her shoulders or past her shoulders, but the front of her hair has always framed her face mm. the entire time she's been alive. Recently, she got what she calls a boy cut, mm. where it's really closely cut up the sides and a bit of length on top. Completely different look. And her friends, her best friends at school, walked right past her shit (laughs) and then did a double take and we're like Lily and that's her best friends that's not somebody who might have heard about this Lily Wilson person as saving Metropolis a few years ago yeah like they've seen pictures of this person but maybe they haven't gotten 
that good a look. And like I say, I, the, the argument I always make, and it's less appropriate now, but the argument I always used to make was that if you were just hanging around your house one day, then you stand up, look outside your window, and you see Osama bin Laden walking down your street, the first thing out of your mouth is not going to be, holy shit, Osama bin Laden is walking down my street. That's not what you're going to say. What you're going to say is, holy shit, that guy looks just like Osama bin Laden. You're not going to think that's the guy. Oh, wow. That's a good point. And, you know, call it denial or I don't there's there's got to be a psychological condition for that. But number one, if people were were so inclined to take notice, they would still on some level be tempted to dismiss it just because of the unlikelihood. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just I don't know. It's one of those things that if you think about it rationally, I don't know how well it truly holds up, but I see enough psychological loopholes for most people, especially if you're close with them in one of your identities, but not really the other. And when did Superman ever interact with Perry White, right? Which it, is why I think that it's good and important that Lois know the identity. Yes. I think that works spectacularly. But everybody else, who else needs to know? Yeah, I agree with that. And did you see the Supergirl pilot? No, no. I basically my ambition is that I'm going to watch that with uh, with my girlfriend uh, together, and it's it's going to be sort of our show. And I don't want to. I'm not trying to be a dick about it, but it's just you know you got to pick your battles in life. No, 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 no. Yeah, I get it. So yeah, but if well, just just, just to say, the uh, the secret identity thing for her, the different look, totally works, and all it is is uh, um, glasses and ponytail. And it works. Well, women, this is intended to be a compliment, but women can be, they, they can have a lot more of a dynamic quality with their look than men can. I mean, when you think about it, in the original conception, super, uh, Clark Kent's disguise is not a pair of glasses. Clark Kent's disguise is a, is a kind of bulky business suit, a pair of glasses, and a fedora. He takes all of that off, and there's Superman. And men don't really dress that way anymore. He certainly didn't dress that way at the Daily Planet. He doesn't have a hat. He doesn't have the bulky suit. He's just got um, a pair of jeans, a button-up, and um, I don't vaguely horn-rimmed glasses, but that's really it. Also the demeanor. Yeah, and the demeanor, yeah. yeah. He, he behaves... He, he, he makes the point to behave very un-supermanly, um, which, you know, I'm actually not that fond of. I don't really like a bumbling, cowardly acting Clark Kent. I'm glad that modern interpretations have moved away from that. But, um, but yeah, he, he, he puts on a personality to, to, to distract from the idea that he might be Superman. Yeah, and to me, the, the way to go about doing that is he's not, he's passive. I mean, because what does mild-mannered really even mean? But if you right. say passive, people understand that. He's just unassuming. And so you have Superman, the front man, calling all the attention to himself. And then you have Clark, who has this strange fucking ability to just vanish into the background, which he's cultivated his entire life. I mean, it's not like this is a new skill that Clark has to learn. He's already perfected that. It's the public thing that's new to him. But the whole idea of assuming an alias and, you know, uh, fading away into the background, being somewhat forgettable, and using falsified information to get jobs... This is not, I mean, they really did close a lot of the loopholes in terms of getting Clark on board at the Daily Planet in a way 
that I think actually makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. um, I, anyway, so that's basically what I have to say about uh, Man of Steel, at least from a plot standpoint. Now, as far as casting, we've really overlooked quite a bit, so I just thought we could hammer through that real quick. Okay. Um, and I'll just say that I think everyone in the film, no one really stunk up the screen. Now, obviously, some people are going to be more memorable than others. Uh, Amy Adams, it never crossed my mind that she wasn't going to be a, a, a kick-ass Lois Lane. I mean, I think everybody in the room called that one. And let's face it, it's not like we've never had a red-headed Lois before, right? <laughs> so that part I'm, I'm fine with. Again, if, and if you have to wonder where I stand on... Uh, Lawrence Fishburne obviously you weren't paying attention so I'm not going to do you any favors here Henry Cavill I never once missed Tom Welling Christopher Reeve George Reeves any of his predecessors I never once missed any of them when they were on screen and I think the what everyone involved with Superman fandom kind of took for granted was that Cavill was going to kick ass and take names I mean Brandon Routh had to prove himself and at least for me, he never did. Henry Cavill didn't seem like he had that problem. Everyone seemed to assume that, yep, that, that's the guy. And that's about as much as anybody ever thought of it. And I think it, in a weird kind of way, it's sort of a disservice to the performance that he gives that he's not getting a little bit more scrutiny for the work that I know for a fact he had to have put in to, um, you know, working out and getting into shape, but also understanding not just who Superman is, who this Clark guy is before he becomes this legend, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't speak for you, but I mean, there was never a point in uh, all of this where I thought, you know, that's just weak sauce. I mean, I can point you to scenes in the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 where Christopher fucking Reeve was weak sauce. I never once had that perception, though, of Henry Cavill, and I think that kind of says something, you know? Um, after he was cast, uh, another work that he had been working on to be redundant was released called The Immortals. Yes. And uh, in The Immortals, he plays Theseus, who is a human who basically has to go and have um, he. I forget exactly the part of the movie, but he he basically throws down with some titans at the end and and and, and gods and whatnot. Okay. There's um. There's one part in the film where he is suiting up for battle, and he uh, he has this breastplate he puts on, and I forget exactly what was going on, but as he was doing that, in my mind he was putting on the Superman suit, and it's just you know just a little small imagination that popped into my head as he was as he was you know donning up for battle and i just got so excited because i realized just how awesome he was going to be as the role mm -hmm. he has he had the presence he had the um i don't know the manliness qualities that that you want superman to have mm -hmm. um he was damn attractive mm -hmm. and it, it never occurred to me that he would be anything other than great in the role. Um, I had seen him in the Tudors playing a very different sort of guy. Yes. Um, a bit of a cad. But um, but he did great in that performance as well. Like I said, it never occurred to me that he'd be anything other than awesome. And he was. I absolutely, absolutely love him as Superman. I agree. And uh, he's actually number two on my uh, list. Uh, Tom Welling's actually my favorite. Henry Cavill's number two. 
So, um, you know, that's that really says a lot, you know, just right there. So, um, that's really about it as far as uh, notes and stuff that I've got. Now, do you have any other minutia that you want to go through? Um, you know, we have hit this movie hard. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> and um, there may be some minor point that pops into my head later, but right now, I, I feel like everything in the movie that I would want to have something to say about, I have, I have had opportunity to have my voice. So I am good. All right, cool. Well, uh, before you and I uh, uh, part ways, um, would you mind uh, just telling everyone where it is that they can find you? I'm, I'm sure most of them know, but I just, I, I've got to be, I have to be sure that we cover this. Well, um, my daughter and I do a podcast that involves other kinds of superheroes actual superhero movies not just movies that have superheroes in them Mm -hmm. to go back to a point we made earlier um (laughs) but the uh the marvel cinematic universe characters all had their start in a 1960s marvel comics and lily and i are talking about those over at avengers inspirations which is at the complete marvel reading order website which you can find by searching complete marvel reading order on google and then click the podcasts tab now we do um also talk about the movies and tv shows themselves because we've been doing a bit of a rewatch and also just to bring it back to this um at the end of every episode we take a look at what the superman family of books was doing on the stands at the same time as the comic we were talking about so there's usually one or two superman uh, stories that gets a brief brief recap and review at the end of each episode so if you like superman that's there too Awesome. Well, uh, John, uh, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to join me. Uh, what I originally said, as uh, as I said in the uh, last episode, what you were originally agreed to was one hour. But what we've actually done is it looks like this is going to be possibly four hours. And so um, I just really appreciate you taking this much time out of your schedule. I know that you, uh, you get really busy and everything. So uh, thank you very much for uh, joining in. And as to, I guess, the rest of this episode... Uh, just uh, stay tuned, uh, because John and I are going to be back in just a few moments uh, to talk about our thoughts concerning Batman v Superman, Non of Justice. So, don't touch that dial. Hola, suckeros! Moria Clawhammer here. Thanks to a tax loophole and a life insurance policy, I have an authentic Mexican taco stand. The explosive taqueria! Well... If you want to pound a burrito, or just get your tongue on a taco, well, get off your ass, take a waco. Come throw some meat down your throat. If you want some food, here's a thingo. You don't want to eat like a gringo. Have some Mexican grub with some zingo. Taco sauce that explodes in your mouth. At the Explosive Taqueria in South de Monzaville, 
We have every kind of goddamn Mexican food you crave. We got chimichangas, ensalada, churros, chupacarnes, deep fried jalapeno poopers, churritos, the famous taco shake. Taco shake discontinued. Triple refried baked beans, choritos, chimichibas, chimichochas, the Commodore's nachos, and the ever popular endless burrito bowl. All prepared by our authentic Mexican cook, Manuel. My name is David. I'm from Bolivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the ladies, we have the Tila Tequila, a tiny taco, but you'll be amazed how much beef and cheese we can stuff in there. For the daredevil, we have the El Pollo Croco, a full chicken stuffed with four soft-shell tacos, two beef burritos, and two sides of your choice, deep-fried and slathered in taco sass. The taco sauce with sass. So lock down your sphincter and come on down. Explosive Taqueria, 312 Elm Street, South de Monzaville. Tell them where Clawhammer sent you. Arrivederci. Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, can I with it then? Okay, okay, here we go. <clears throat> Iron Man. The Incredible Hulk. The Mighty Thor. The Captain America. Wow. Being dramatic there, aren't we? Do, do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You, you're good. Okay. You've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting. Magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, mm-hmm. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the anime before we had a whole film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. He's not the King Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So, um... Maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found... <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad, don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh, yeah, Avengers Inspirations Podcast. Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T W O T R U E 
F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing, and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law some assembly required, batteries not included. Do not remove this tag under penalty of law. All models are over the age of 18. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonzacore of Milan, Italy.